This is Steve Smith at the California Western School of Law, and I call the Law Review to order. This is the time of year when thousands of people are applying or thinking of applying to law school. Today we are giving some insider tips uh, for those who are thinking of applying or who are applying on how to make that application successful. We welcome our guests, all of whom have seen tens of thousands of applications over the years. Tracy Howard is the Assistant Dean for Admissions at California Western School of Law and an active member of a variety of committees in the Law School Admission Council, the people who bring you the LSAT. Gene Whalen is a member of the admissions office staff and what I call the Director of Welcome at California Western. She has seen it all and is a great friend for anyone thinking of applying to law school. And Bill Lynch, longtime faculty member and chair of the admissions committee at California Western. He has had to decide who will be admitted and who will not be admitted countless times, so he's a real expert. Thanks to all of you for joining us on Law Review today. Professor Lynch, what are the biggest mistakes that you have seen applicants make in the admissions process? In filling out their applications, they don't address obvious weaknesses in their profile. They what would be an example of a weakness? For example, if somebody has a very low GPA and a very high LSAT, somebody advises them not to address that weakness. And my answer to that advice is, it's not good advice. We have been looking at files for years. They, we know what a good GPA is. We know what a good LSAT is. And if it's, somebody has a low LSAT or low GPA, then give an explanation for it to take away the negative aspect. For example, a low LSAT. Uh, many times I've seen people say, I was a magna cum laude graduate, undergraduate, and my SAT scores were terrible. My performance in college was much better than my score would indicate. I know my LSAT is not impressive, but I think in law school I can perform better than the predictability of the test. And all this is going on in the personal statement. Yes. And just to use the example uh, that you were looking at, what the person is really saying is the LSAT didn't accurately predict how I will do exactly. in law school in exactly. the same way the SAT didn't. Another thing that we see frequently, particularly for people uh, of Asian ethnic derivation, is their families emphasize engineering and medicine as undergraduate uh, majors. And they start off in that specialty, and their grades are very poor. Then they shift to political science or history or uh, English, and the grades skyrocket. They don't say anything about that, explaining the low grades because family pressure told them to uh, choose one of those disciplines rather than the one they ended up in. Tracy, have you seen other mistakes? Yeah, I think one of the biggest mistakes that applicants make is they're not applying smart. I think is it's useful for applicants to think about the process well ahead of the time um, that they apply, um, research the law schools, know what they have to offer, know what they themselves, the applicant has to offer, and then apply based on that. Oftentimes I think people go with their dream school and they apply to schools unrealistically and they become disappointed in the application process because they don't get the decisions they're hoping for, but I think it's useful if you research the process. There may have been two things that you were, you were saying there that are important. One is uh, the selection of schools to which you will apply. And, and it's become easier to apply. But the second one was, in some ways, almost felt like you were saying, don't apply everywhere or the same application everywhere, but you want to 
you're not just going through the motions. You're trying to say, why would this school find me to be interested? Absolutely. I, it's, I think oftentimes people are so concerned on getting a decision and they're not thinking about, you know, what happens after you get a decision or if you don't get a decision. Or this is a, the right match. I mean, we'll talk about that later, but the, the, this process is to find your the match you have to the right law school. Absolutely. If you apply to a law school because um, that school is ranked the highest and um, one of the ranking publications, um, but then you go and visit the school and you you look at the community and decide, well, this is a high-ranked law school, but I can't imagine myself living in this community. I can't see myself studying on this campus. And then you're stuck with an, an offer, a decision, uh, in a place that you can't see yourself studying law school. So certainly fit is important. Jean, have you seen mistakes? Well, I was going to follow up on something Professor Lynch said. I think that the reason sometimes that applicants are reluctant to provide um, explanations about perceived weaknesses is that they see them as excuses and we don't see them as excuses it's critical information in evaluating an application so if applicants remember that what they're providing are not excuses they're explanations of, of information that we need in the process thanks let's let's talk about timing uh, when to apply what tips do you have uh, on timing when should applicants apply should you wait till the last minute uh, should you do it way early what's What's Tracy, the advice, Tracy? Absolutely not. Do <laughs> wait not till waste, wait till the last minute. Um, oh, nuts! I was hoping <laughs> we procrastinators. Might. It, and and many applicants do that, but it is usually more advantageous to applicants to apply early. Um, it is helpful because you want to have a chance. Well, what does er, forgive me for interrupting? But what does early mean? Most um, law schools have uh, decision uh, application deadlines that are in the spring. Um, I think a good target is to try to apply before the end of the year, the previous well, year. Well, since we've already missed that target, what's the second <laughs> if target? If you're out there right now and you have not yet applied and you are planning to apply this season, uh, I would recommend getting your application in as soon as possible. Know the deadline dates for the law schools. Um, usually February is a good, no later than February is a good time. You want to apply in enough time to get a decision, to get all of your decisions so you can make a, a knowledgeable choice about which law school you want to go to. You, If you apply early, you have a better chance of qualifying for scholarships which is something that's really important um, in the application process. And you certainly um, don't want to be on pins and needles waiting for a decision while all of your colleagues and friends have decisions and are deciding where they want to go. So it's certainly advantageous to apply as early as possible, if for no other reason than knowing your financial aid package, I think. The, their, part of the application process is taking the LSAT. How late can you take the LSAT? I mean, your, your advice is to take everything early, to do everything mm -hmm. early, but how late can you get by with taking the LSAT? For I guess that varies by school. Yeah, it does. It varies from school to school. Like California Western, we um, will take the February LSAT, but many law schools, uh, the October LSAT is the last one um, they'll take. So um, December is cutting it really close. If you're taking the December LSAT, um, you, you're 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 a little late, but if you 
you know, run into a situation where you may have to retake the LSAT, you still have the opportunity to take it in February for some law schools. It's important to check with the law schools to well, find out. My sense is right now that, that in sense, law schools are being more flexible about the, the deadlines and taking late LSATs and so forth. So if someone has not taken the December LSAT, it would make sense to, to think about the February exam? Yeah, certainly. You, what I would recommend is you contact the law schools to find out um, how flexible they are with their deadlines. Many law schools are being a little bit more flexible in this season. Uh, it never hurts to contact the law school to find out specifically how what, what absolute latest LSAT they'll accept. Uh, I've been on the admissions committee at Calwis in over 30 years, off and on in chair many times. And what I don't think a lot of students realize is that the processing of the applications once they get here, the admissions office does a wonderful job of getting them logged in and getting the application set up. And then it has to be circulated to committee members. It's not a one-person decision. And for example, if you have three committee members reading the file, one of them says it's an accept, another says it's a reject, and a third says it's a hold, then it has to be sent to a fourth faculty member because you have to have uh, a mass of people of the same view and it takes time. People have classes to teach, meetings to go to and in processing a close call application like that it can take weeks and in the meantime the student is hanging fire. He doesn't know what he's going to get in. So the earlier you get your application in you take into account how long it takes committee members to read files. Gene, Bill was talking about the uh, process, the internal process. It might be interesting to, to pull back the curtain a little bit for anyone who has applied. What happens? An application hit, hits the, uh, the front door. What happens uh, in processing? Well, the first thing that happens is that we review all of the applications for completeness. Uh, we want to make sure that all of the questions have been answered. And next, we want to make sure that we've received the report from LSAC, which is called the CAS report, which has uh, copies of transcripts, copies of letters of recommendation, evaluations, um, LSAT scores. So the first step is to see if the, the file is complete. If the file is not complete, the next step is to be in touch with the applicant, let them know what's missing, and put them in um, an incomplete status until they are able to provide the necessary information. If the file is complete, the next step is to send it on for committee review. And that process, as Professor Lynch mentioned, can mean one, two, three, four, or five people looking at the file and providing input before we get a consensus on the, the decision. Um, decisions can be in the admit category, in the hold category, or in the deny category. And applicants should be aware that um, Many schools do have a wait list. They may want to know uh, what the process is at that school. Um, how can students uh, improve their applications if they're on the wait list? Those are all questions that can be addressed by contacting the admissions office. And they shouldn't be reluctant to get more information if they're not sure about the status of their file. Can it, a phone call, personal visit, email, what's the best way to get Any of the above. Because that's really great advice. I mean, it's crazy to be uncertain of what's going on and having advice and help available yeah. and not take advantage of Any it. of the above will work. At California Western, we make sure that um, each of our applicants has an admissions counselor, so we try to set up a relationship with our applicants from the time they apply, and then they know that they can call or email or visit at any point in time. 
I think one of the things that applicants may not be aware is uh, the scrutiny that the faculty members give to files. Uh, obviously, the numbers are important. We can't deny that GPA and LSAT are important. But we read everything in the file. For example, I pay particular attention to letters of recommendation. If the recommender is a person who knows the intellectual and academic abilities of the applicant and says, this person has taken courses outside of his comfort zone and has run the risk of getting a low grade, tells me he's the kind of person who will prosper in the rigorous atmosphere of the law school. So we look for that. And unless you read everything in the file, you don't pick up on that stuff. So therefore, uh, that takes time. And if Gene said, if you've got four or five people reading the file, and each one of us reading it completely, we may draw different inferences from what we read. So the earlier, the better. I think schools probably vary uh, and the degree to which that's case, but uh, the case, but I'll have to see say both here and at another school in which I've served. In fact, I was chair of admissions committee. I became a dean, so I didn't have to be on the admissions <laughs> committee. It was too guy. hard. Um, smart guy. But, but where schools take it seriously, it is, it is a major undertaking to read a yes. file carefully and think about it yes. and then compare what is said in the personal statement versus what the record is. Uh, and, and people take the time uh, to do that. So that what a lot of what you've been talking about is really comes down to the personal statement. I mean, yes. you make the recommendations and the personal statement. Yes. The, the, the explanation of why there is this weakness would be, I guess it was to be the personal statement where you would address that. Sometimes they put in an addendum. They'll put in a separate statement, say, I want you oh, an to an explanation know. to yes, a exactly. specific question. Right. And uh, we say, to, I, I've said myself, and I've read other faculty members' comments, gee, I wish he had talked about his LSAT. He had a mediocre LSAT, and he never said anything about it. Is that the limit of his ability, or is he ashamed of it? Does he think we won't notice it? Of course we're going to Particularly notice it. Particularly where there's a disconnect between the LSAT yeah, and, and the, the undergraduate grade sure. point average, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, well, we've talked about the LSAT a lot. It's required by every law school uh, in, in, in the country that's accredited. So what tips do you all have for preparing for the LSAT if somebody's going to take it in February? It's a little late to start preparing. but And one thing, I get the, the, the one that the LSAT C says, which is, you should read the materials they send out, I mean, they, 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 which are helpful. Yes. For an, a person who is planning to take it this February to apply this. Yeah, I think we're going to have to do that, and then next October. Too, yeah. <laughs> Put it off, maybe. Because yeah. um, <laughs> this certainly, uh, uh, the LSAT is a, a skills-based test. It's not a test of your knowledge as much as it is a test of your skills. And as with anything you're learning to, to improve your skills, you have to practice. So practice, practice, practice. And what I tell applicants, uh, potential applicants, who are preparing for the LSAT, is that you want to, if you can, take at least four to six months to get yourself acquainted with the test have an idea about what questions they ask on the test and give yourself a lot of time to practice. And oftentimes people don't do that. They decide in January right that here. they want to take the LSAT and they march in there and try to take the February LSAT um, for the upcoming applicant year uh, application period. And it's really not a test that you should approach in that way at all. Uh, I can give anecdotal evidence on this. I have three children, uh, adult children, and two of them went to graduate school, and uh, one of them went to business school at Berkeley, and uh, she asked me when she took the uh, test 
which is the equivalent of the LSAT for business school, uh, she was taking practice tests and she was not doing well on them. And she said, should I take a course? Now, the conventional wisdom is the courses are not useful because you know, they're not knowledge-based tests, they're skill-based tests, right? Uh, I, had, I told her in reading thousands of files, I had seen examples of people taking the test and getting a low score and then having a dramatic improvement, a really big jump. And almost invariably, their explanation was, I took a course. Now, I know the conventional wisdom, the course doesn't help. So when my daughter came to me and she said, would you pay for the course, should I take it? And I said, I don't think you can hurt. She took it, and the second time, she skilled. And one reason away. is what Tracy said. It, the courses make you practice, practice, right. practice. And she said, when I went into the test to take it, I had a confidence in my ability to do well that I didn't have before. And those of us who are teachers know that confidence is half the game on test taking. So I would recommend that. And especially with a multiple choice test, I think a lot of what they do in the LSAT prep courses is to teach you how to take a multiple choice test smart. Yeah. And that's an advantage. Yep. Unless we um, lead people to believe that taking a course is the only way to prepare for an LSAT, I think it's important to realize that not everyone has the resources to right. cover um, a, a course. They're, they can be very expensive. But it's important to know that some of those uh, companies offer scholarships. So if you're out there and you want, you know that your best way to study and prepare is through um, a, a course, contact those agencies, those companies that offer those tests and ask them about scholarships. Or there's also self-studies that, you know, that you can do a self-study and get the materials and practice on your own. But whatever you do, you really do need to practice. Absolutely. And practice under timed conditions. Absolutely. Because the, the timidness of the test is, gone, is not as bad as it used to be, but it's still a timed test. Right. And you have to have a sense of pacing, I suppose, associated Absolutely. with it. Well, we've talked about the LSAT. We've talked about the undergraduate grade point average. What other significant factors uh, are taken into account? Bill mentioned letters of reference and personal statements. I would say uh, this may be daunting to people who haven't gone to prestige schools, but schools, I was talking about this to Tracy before we started this podcast, the military academies have not experienced grade inflation. So when you look at a file from uh, Annapolis or West Point, you know that if there's a 2.8, it's real 2.8. I think in a lot of the universities today, undergraduate grades are greatly inflated. I mean, you look at some of the, the big name schools, the average grade for undergraduate population is an A minus. Well, you and I both know that that's unrealistic and uh, it's a comment about education generally that's made over and over again. So we take that into account, we say, has this person gone to a school where the grading is more realistic? Uh, because in general, people don't get all A's. They get a range of grades, this so-called bell-shaped curve. So if this person has been to a school where the grading is realistic, then the other thing we look at is majors, uh, majors that uh, science, math majors, where you're Why would that be the case? Well, because the numbers, you can't fiddle with the numbers. They're either right or wrong. I mean, you can fiddle with numbers in communications and to a certain extent in English and political science, but if you're taking a course in statistics, you've got to have the right answer. So I, I, I look at that. At the major, the school, does it have a realistic rating program? Is it a very competitive school? Uh, all of this is a factor, and some of us have personal knowledge of some of the university, with some of the students who apply here to our school, I'm sure to others, uh, they reflect uh, 
the training they've gotten if we've had previous students who've enrolled and done particularly well. That's all part of the mix. How about work experience, graduate degrees? Yeah, I was also going to address that. I think we're looking for well-rounded individuals, and that can be demonstrated by um, work experience, particularly in a law-related job. Uh, maybe you've traveled in a foreign country, you've lived in a foreign country. What kind of volunteer experience do you have? Um, have you demonstrated leadership in some of your extracurricular activities? And diversity is also important, and that can be ethnic, racial, socioeconomic, lifestyle preferences, but all of those factors add to the completeness of the profile we're looking for. Is, is it fair to say that, if in doubt, include information? Is that? I would say yes. I mean, is there information you can include that would be harmful? Well, sometimes you have to include harmful information, because if you don't, the law school finds out about it and you won't be accepted and or you the won't bar get admitted to the bar. Later right, exactly. We'll so if you've had a bars. brush with the law, fess up, be honest, don't uh, try to Honesty hide it. in the application. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Today on Law Review, we are looking at tips for applying to law school. Our guests are Tracy Howard, Bill Lynch, and Jean Whalen. They're from, all from California Western School of Law, but are speaking more generally about law schools. So what tips do you have uh, for how uh, an applicant should decide which law school to attend? Uh, I think most people have some kind of an idea that the first year of law school at least is demanding and maybe for some people traumatic. So I think you want to make yourself as emotionally comfortable as you can be in your first year of law school. I know I'm an old geezer, and when I went to law school, I was terrified in the first year. Uh, I think most first-year students still are uneasy. And therefore, uh, let's say you've got accepted to three law schools in your choices. Which one should I go to? If you can, I would visit each of the three, talk to the admissions staff, talk to students, sit in a class, get a sense of what the place is like. Had I done that personally, I wouldn't have gone to the law school I went to. I was unhappy there. And uh, the only reason I stayed in that law school was because it was during the Korean War and I would have been drafted and sent as a foot soldier to Korea if I had dropped out. But in fact, I think I, I got accepted at a number of law schools. I should have gone to others than the one I went to. But the only way you find that out is by really experiencing the law school, and you may not be able to afford to visit the law schools, but at least talk to people and see if they can put you in touch with students who are there. Uh, what is the atmosphere like? Is it cutthroat? Is it uh, collaborative? Uh, you know, what's the quality of the classroom experience? I think uh, nothing really tells you about that unless you go and sit in in the classroom, watch the interaction with the students. Uh, when Justice Kennedy was at our school to dedicate a law library about 10 years ago. Uh, I was assigned by the dean to accompany him around, and he said very nice things about the school. But the point was, he said, I don't know what you're doing here that creates this extraordinarily collaborative atmosphere between faculty and students. But whatever you're doing, don't change it. It makes the study of the law much more enticing. And uh, it was beyond being conventionally nice. I think he saw something here, and could be true in other law schools, that makes it uh, a good and environmentally supportive uh, atmosphere in which to study the law. I, I agree, and I think one pr 
practical way of approaching it is to start with a list. I like lists. And sometimes it's helpful to you know, make a list of all of the things you're looking for in a law school. Make a, th- a list of you know, if diversity is important to you. Do you want to be in a big city or a small town? Um, what academic programs are you looking for? Start that list and use that when you're going through, even before you apply, when you start looking at law schools. So there are a number of law schools in the country, um, and many of them will begin to look alike. It's up to the applicant to start making the distinguish, distinguishing the differences between the law schools based on what you are looking for as an applicant, um, and then go from there. And that way, once you get your decision and you're deciding which law school to go to, you go back to that list and check off which law schools have to offer the things you're looking for. Gene, you, you arrange campus visits for a lot of people. Uh, Bill suggested they're a great way to get a sense of the school. Do you find that that's the case in the, the people who visit usually come Absolutely. away with a better understanding of the Absolutely. school? Absolutely. You're going to spend a tremendous amount of time and money if you're going to be enrolling in law school. And it's got to be uh, a situation where it's going to be conducive to succeeding academically, but also a place where you can thrive personally. And the campus environment is tremendously important. So putting them in touch with students, having them sit in on a class, putting them in touch with a faculty member, all is very helpful. And I think in addition, as you're doing initial research, uh, you want to think about the location, large city, small city, weather. You want to look at the size of the law school, how, how large are the entering classes, what's the size of the student body. Uh, do you need a, a, an atmosphere with an undergraduate institution affiliation or is a freestanding law school something that you might prefer? Uh, where do you plan to practice? Networking may be important in the location you decide on. What's the curriculum? Do you have an area of focus you're thinking about? Look at the curriculum. Um, and what kind of support is available in terms of faculty, in terms of uh, diversity services, student services, uh, faculty support? All of that is going to be important in doing your research. I suppose what you've collectively said is that the law schools in America, accredited law schools, are really very different. They yes. have different personalities, different atmospheres, and uh, the, the, the idea of a match, of finding, finding the right atmosphere, and you cannot tell it from the website, probably. You really have to be there. And I think talking with the current students uh, sitting on classes, I really agree that that's a great way to get a sense of the atmosphere of a, of a school. Well. We haven't talked about rankings, and I know some people uh, rely on on rankings, uh, particularly the U.S. News, in making decisions about which law school to to attend. Uh, do you think that makes sense? I don't, but I know that everyone does it. So by saying <laughs> I, I don't think it's it's useful is uh, not very helpful. But for instance, part of the ranking process is the reputation of the law school. And the ranking uh, entity, like U.S. News, sends out questionnaires to firms, uh, schools, other law schools, universities, and asks them how to rank, uh, say, 10 law schools. And if they know three of the law schools well, uh, unless they know bad things about them, they're likely to give them a higher ranking than a school they know nothing about. And everyone's heard of the most prestigiously uh, endowed law schools and the biggest names in legal education. But people don't know much about the schools that are not so well known. And if they're not well known, they will get a negative reputational uh, ranking. 
Similarly, in terms of the people practicing law firms that have lawyers, graduate school practicing for them. If you come from, uh, say, Nebraska, most of your graduates are not going to be practicing law in New York. So a New York law firm will probably not rate graduates of a Nebraska law school highly. They know nothing about them, but it's human nature to say, well, you know, they're not here, they're not, I'm not able to observe them. So uh, some of it is realistic, I know. Some of it involves uh, the selectivity of the law school that, uh, and accepting people. And, but you know, some of the law schools game that. They select a lot more people so they can turn down a lot of people. They play those games, and that's all part of the uh, ranking process. It's an imprecise thing and I think uh, can be very, very misleading. It, it makes it difficult to do what Tracy suggested, which is to make your own list. These are the things important to me because <laughs> yeah. you're letting someone else yeah. define yeah. what's important. Uh, to you, there was a. I've just returned from the Association of American Law Schools annual meeting, and one of the presentations, uh, there, the speaker showed a, a picture of Princeton and said, the, the, you know, the <laughs> open rankings often rate this law school as among the best. And of course, Princeton has no, no law, law school. school. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I don't. I, I, th I know a lot of applicants use the U.S. News, and I don't discourage them from using it. Um, as long as it's one of a variety of factors they're considering um, making a decision about a law school um, in the positively or negatively uh, just based on that one factor I think is a mistake um, because you miss out on all of the other things um, with respect to diversity with respect to culture that um, the U.S. News does not take into consideration, or any other ranking usually doesn't take into consideration. Well, what, where should applicants then go for additional information? We've talked about the website. We've talked about <coughs> campus visits. <coughs> Excuse me. Where then should applicants go for information about law schools? We've already talked about the website. We've talked uh, about campus visits, but what else? Talk to lawyers, practicing lawyers, talk to alums of the various schools that you're considering and ask them about their experience at the law school. Had I done that, I didn't. Had I done it, I'm confident I would not have gone to the law school I went to. And uh, I, I just made the decision largely based on ignorance. So uh, to go to ranking organizations, I'm, I'm a little uneasy about them because my grandchildren have all just been going to college and I've been helping them in the process and they fret endlessly about the U.S. News rankings, and we went through the process of how, and I think they're trying to be objective. I don't think it, the, the thing is rigged, but I don't think it gives, as Tracy said, the real picture of what will be the best fit for this student. And, I, you know, for three years and all that money, intellectual and emotional energy expended, you don't want it to be wasted on a place where you're going to be unhappy. Let me throw in another uh, source of information, which is the ABA and LSAC published the official guide uh, to uh, approved law schools, and it is online. Most of that information is free online. It's in a print edition still, but I think most people use it online. It's readily available, and again, it's the uh, ABA and LSAC uh, official guide to approved law schools. 
And the law school forums that are provided each year, eight or nine of them throughout the country, provide an opportunity to talk to representatives from any of the ABA law schools. So that's another good source. Well, one final question. Should people be applying to law school at all? There's a lot of very negative uh, things being said about law schools. Uh, should people just be staying away? Obviously, I'll say no. <laughs> um, and, and you know, the reason why I think, um, I, I think those people who have thought about this process, who have really searched uh, themselves uh, are going to law, and are going to law school because um, uh, it's something, not something they, they want to do because the economy is bad or it's something that five generations of people in their family have done, but are really doing it because it's something they're passionate about. They've made a life commitment to um, being a part of the legal profession, or at least a significant part of their life, their lives. They they intend to be a part of the profession. I do think those people. I encourage those people to apply. I think in th these times, hopefully, people um, with all of the bad press, people will really think about this choice. The value of a law degree um, uh, has not diminished. Um, Overall, I hope none of my fellow panelists disagree with me. No, I, the fact of the matter is uh, I'm coming to the end of my life and I've been a lawyer since 1956. And in general, living through this period of time and practicing law in the Navy and being here on the faculty at California Western, uh, I am prouder than ever to be a lawyer, I think in general, it's a noble calling. I think the lawyers, good lawyer is a force for good in society. Sure, there are bad ones. Sure, there are bottom feeders. Uh, but there are doctors who are uh, fraudulent. There are accountants. There are priests who abuse kids. Every profession has its bad apples. But in general, uh, if you want to have a profession that can be satisfying to you personally, and advances the good goals of society. I can't think of anything better than being a lawyer. Couldn't say it any better. Well, I, I have uh, been writing an article that's caused me to look at the history of legal education. And uh, there is a kind of cataclysmic literature in legal education with each downturn that happens every 15 or 20 years. And uh, maybe that's what we're seeing with uh, some of the, the blogs and articles and, and all the, the rest. So I want to thank all of you for uh, joining us to talk about tips for applying to law school. I know you stand ready at our admissions office to help anyone with questions, and admissions offices across the country uh, stand ready to do that. So today on Law Review, we have been joined by Tracy Howard, Bill Lynch, and Jean Whalen. Thank you again. Thank you for being with us. We also thank our producers, Hank Crook, Grace Garner, Ben Pesner, and Katrina Julian. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast by visiting lawreview.podbean.com or seeing us on iTunes. If you have a topic you would like us to consider on Law Review, you may leave us a message on the Podbean site. Thanks for the comments that we receive. Feel free to suggest any topics and we'll take a look at them. Until next time, this is Steve Smith and the Law Review stands adjourned.